Welcome to Beyond. Joining us today is Hope Mueller, is an author, inspirational speaker, busy executive, and active non-for-profit volunteer. A results-driven leader and change agent, Hope's passionate about career development, youth STEM promotion, and local community service, among others. With her early, year, early years marked by the experience on a hippie commune, Hope's unique childhood shaped her approach and interaction with the world. With a gift of creating order out of chaos and turning vision into reality, she lives with her husband in Northern Illinois and actively parents her four daughters through the phases of their lives. Um, Hope uh, wrote an amazing book. I would encourage you to look at it or buy it. Is it going to be on Amazon? It is on Amazon. Okay, right now. it's on Amazon. This is an amazing book. Let me tell you about it. It's a gripping memoir written in intense past moments, reflective chapters, and flash forwards. Hopi chronicles the story of a courageous girl in a 70s southern Indiana commune, complete with flowers for dinner, a ball of acid in the freezer, and orgies on the living room floor. An exhilarating read and captivating celebration of the human spirit. Hope, thanks so much for coming on Beyond. Thank you so much for having me. It's really totally awesome. It. Yeah, thanks. fascinating story in your book. And as I read it, it's like, wow, I mean, that's, that's insane to go through for most people. Yeah. For most people, that's yeah. not normal. Um, so your book takes us through your early years and leads up to your career. Yeah. And I find it fascinating now that you're this high-powered executive married with four kids. Yeah. Um, can you take us back to some of the stories you shared about your life on the commune? Well, even when you were just reading that, I'm thinking, wow, that sounds crazy when you read it out loud. Yeah, I mean, all of those things did happen. There were, there were orgies on the living room floor. There was a ball of acid in the freezer. And the adults who were in charge of taking care of us, they would shave a little bit off and trip through their shift of watching the kids. And it was a wild, you know, wild times for sure. So they weren't present when they were there. Quote unquote. Well, I they mean, were, they were physically present, I suppose. And, you know, in retrospect, you do have these thoughts. You're like, ah, oh, we are lucky none of us really got hurt. Or, and I'm a pretty paranoid mom. So they are, you know, I'm lucky that none of the kids got hurt and we, we survived mostly. So did that, does that impact how you parent today? It's sort of the contrast, right? I yeah. went through that. Yeah. It was free. I could come and go as I see fit. Yeah. There's really no supervision yeah. to what now? Were you a little bit more of a, a hawk? And No, actually, we've, I am not. I'm not a helicopter mom. I'm the opposite of a helicopter mom. All four of my girls will tell you that one of my favorite sayings is, I don't know, go figure it out. Nice. <laughs> now, what I do try and do is create boundaries, right? Like safe boundaries that they can make their own decisions within. They need to have the full responsibility, both successes and wins of their decisions. Um, but you got to give them the safe space to make with make those decisions within. So it's certainly um, not helicopter. I don't overprotect, um, but I do have a lot of fears, right? Where you know where you know where is everybody? I want to make sure I've got all you know all the count in place. Is everyone safe? And um, and certainly uh, the kids, the kids of the commune, we ran we ran ourselves. So the big kids sort of kept us in line and made sure we were safe and, you know, probably put It's us like a patriarchy, yeah. but just at a younger age, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit of, they also put you in, uh, sometimes put you in danger, you know, dared you to jump off the shed or, you know, ride down, you ride your bike down a busy street and you did all of that. But, you know, luckily we survived. You survived. As a lot of us did in the 70s, right? We yeah, did a lot of crazy right. things and everything's yeah. seat belted in and yeah. helmets and whatnot. So. Let's go back to the commune. I also read where there's a poignant part in the book where you came out the door one time and you saw a person you know mm -hmm. hanging from a tree. What yeah. was that like? 
Well, I was very young, um, and I did put a little qualifier in there because a couple of the commune kids have read the book, and there's all of us have a little bit different memory of that. Sure. You know, event. Um, it was still. It was. It stopped. Right. The whole everything stopped. We're just staring at it, and we weren't supposed to see. Right. So we weren't supposed to see the body. But we saw the body anyway, um, because one of the moms or one of the parents was, you know, to make sure we didn't see. And she ushered us out once we all saw. Um, but I do think it's started some of my coping mechanisms where you do just a little bit of blocking out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she ushered us down the street and we went off and started doing something else. And some of the bigger kids were braver. They were looking back and taking a look at what, you know, what was in the tree. And I was like, eh, I'm just going to head forward. I'm not, I'm not looking back anymore. Yeah. And is that true as you went through in your early years, you just didn't look back, just look forward? Yeah. And I still, still have a, I don't spend a lot of time regretting. Um, I don't spend a lot of time in the past mulling things over. You know, I do try and look at things and learn from it and move on. Um, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to bury it because that's never good either. No. You got to deal with it on some level, look at it, learn from it, and move on. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time regretting where we're at, and I'll just charge forward. Yeah. Um, and there's a little bit of, you know, all of us, you know, develop coping mechanisms, and that was probably one of mine. A little bit of let's, I'm just going to block that out and keep heading forward. Perfect. That's a good strategy. So it's, it, what, to me, the irony is right. We want to block you from seeing this body hanging, but we're not going to block you from the acid, the orgies, <laughs> and the insanity of what a life was like in commune. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition, right? The yeah. idea that you can't see death, but you can see what they think is life, which really isn't life because it led to the guy hanging in the tree you know, at some it's, level. It's a really interesting. It's a really interesting conversation because. Um, I did a radio show a while ago, and they were all very excited. They're like, "Why don't you, you know, quit the quit the corner <laughs> office and go live on a commune?" And I said, "Well, you know what? <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> I bet the adults were having a great time, right? Yeah. I mean, they thought we were, you know, and we were. Let's just be fair. We were be here now. They were fully in the moment. They were, you know. But I think one of the things that gets lost in that is when you do." You know, when you do mind-altering, you know, drugs or substances, what you're experiencing is different than what the folks who are not <laughs> doing right. that is. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, and it just became, it was just, it just was. Um, and you don't know, and all of us experience this as a kid to some extent, some of us with more extreme examples than others, but you don't know what's normal. You just think this is normal, right? Or just think it's common. Well, you know, you said, you know, you really don't look back and, and sort of marinate in that experience because yeah. reality is you didn't put yourself there. Your right. parent did. Yeah. So there you are, and that is your reality. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about the commune experience. Was there any concept of God or moral or right or wrong, or was it just... Be who you are. It's free. It's yeah. liberating. What was that like? Yeah, that's also someone else asked me. They said commune. Like I always associate commune with being in the middle of nowhere and it's a cult and there's some sort of religious lean. And I said no, it was none of that. And it was a commune in the so much as we lived there. We didn't have any of our own possessions. Everything was shared. You know, the the kids or the adults were always in flux of who would be there and who would not be there. So, but it didn't have some sort of, 
you know, religious ties or boundaries. And it wasn't out in the middle of nowhere. It was in town. It wasn't a big town, but it was in town. Um, <laughs> and we moved a lot, so it moved a lot too. Um, but no, it was always, it was really about just accepting everybody for who they are, loving them for who they are, and being nice to people. So those foundations are really fantastic. Um, and I, I still carry that, right? I just don't have a good concept of categorizing people in any way. I just, am, I just don't automatically do that because I wasn't, you know, my formative years, I wasn't trained that way. You're not hyper judgmental and that's good. But on the other hand, while those are good attributes, yeah. not having boundaries around the drug piece oh, and yeah. some of the other stuff going on there, there's that, there's that sort of diametrically opposed yeah. sort of position. Especially as a kid, we're not talking you're yeah. an adult with adult <laughs> thinking. You're a child that's very impressionable. Mm -hmm. Um, that sort of thrust into this this interesting. Let me ask you this: Would you have your daughters grow up in a commune uh, today? No. Yeah, yeah, there's the answer, no. right? Yeah, that's a big no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody, I've had somebody else ask me that question, and they're like, "Well, why wouldn't you go back?" And I said, "Well, some of it might be interesting, but certainly the drugs and the sex. Uh, I, that's probably not the healthiest me. expression yeah, that's of not right." It. Right. Probably not it. So I got to believe in that period of your, of your life, did you have bold, big visions for your future coming through the community or did it muting those out with the, with the drug piece and the different alternative lifestyle? You know what? It is funny. I, to some extent, I did because, and I think this is how the rest of my reality was built. It's a built on a foundation of love and, on a, you know, pure acceptance of who I was and I was told I was amazing I was told I could go do great things nice I was gonna be a doctor and a neurosurgeon and an astronaut and a bull rider I was gonna do everything right and I they no one told me no no one told me that I couldn't do it you know there was one of these Facebook quizzes the other day and it had 10 childhood traumas and you have to give yourself a point for every trauma you experienced well I do my points and I've got eight, eight out of the ten, right? And I asked the person who posted, I said, what's yours? And he said, well, it's only a two. And I thought, well, oh, I've got eight. But the one I didn't get, the point I didn't have to give myself was a parent who belittled me, a parent mm -hmm. who broke me down, a parent who didn't tell me I was amazing and could do amazing things. I, so that one, you know, out of those 10, to me is the most critical because I could build on a foundation of love and belief in myself yeah. and the rest of it could blossom from there. That's a great point. That's awesome. Was there ever any point living on the commune where there was uncertainty? Oh, every day, right? Who, who was going to watch us? Where are we going to be safe? Where are we going to have any food? What, what was the food? Where, do we have to go pick daylilies at the park? or at the cemetery to get dinner. So were you guys like hunter-gatherers, like the old school? Uh, well, I mean, somewhat, <laughs> not really. But my mom, we always did have a garden. Mm -hmm. Now the downside was you might not be living there because we moved a lot. You might not be living there when, you know, everything. How many years did you live on the commune? 10 years, 20, 15? No, no, the first six, seven, six. eight years. Yeah. And in that period of yeah. time, how many times did you move? Uh, I think at one time we counted um, 11 or 17. Oh. I, the number gets bigger as I go, <laughs> certainly. I think it was, I, so by the time I was 15 when I moved out, I had moved 19 times. Wow. So 
How were you able to maintain a calm perspective given the uncertainty at that age and that stage of your, your yeah. development? I don't know if I was calm. I was probably pretty hyper and certainly if ADHD was as commonly um, prescribed uh, now, then I'm certain. Um, you know, I was, I was pretty active. We were all pretty active. Um, no anxiety, just carefree, happy, as far as you knew it? As far as I knew it. Now, so one of the big transformations after we left the commune was my mom married her third husband and he had a very strict household right he was a violent alcoholic so it brought a whole different set of problems um, because of the violence um, but it came with its stability so there was food on the table every night we had a pretty predictable home um, and I really gravitated towards that. So it was this free love, wild chaos, and then structure, within, and then structure like dinner at right. <laughs> dinner at five. I don't know what time it was, but dinner at a specific time. You know, the table had to be set a certain way. You had to put the napkins on your lap. There was one picture of Mountain. How did your mom adjust to this? Um, she. I mean, that's a big swing to it, right? So, wow. and we all now it came. It came with, uh, you know, so the stability. And I don't know if you look at that time, you know, from the late seventies to early eighties, you know, the the nation moved sort of through that sort of tightening up and behaving in a different way too, right? So, I think, you know, I don't know if she was just ready for more structure if she was getting older, but um, we we certainly did that, and it was. I was able to gravitate towards and adapt to that um, superstructure, uh, but my older sister really struggled. Mm. She really struggled because she was nine, ten, and she had lived this free life for so long. I could and then imagine. All of a sudden, it's you know everything. It's a polar opposite. Yeah, it's polar yeah. opposite. Yeah. Um, so that was probably one of the other biggest transformations. But that structure and me leaning into it you know, I really gravitated towards all of those activities. Kind of spoke to who you were Absolutely. at some level. Well, and I'm sure it saved me in some way too, right? It gave, it was something to grasp onto. So when you ask the question if, you know, was I anxious, not consciously, you know, but certainly as soon as, you know, structure, safety, stability, and food, reliability was available, I definitely gravitated to it. It didn't matter that it came with violence. Mm -hmm. It didn't, you know, an angry alcoholic as the household lead. It didn't matter those things. I, I got pretty comfortable with that because... It's all relative. Yeah, food was pretty predictable <laughs> and some of the others, no orgies on the floor and not everyone was, you know, drugged out on acid. So. Right. There's that. <laughs> That's important. So can you take us um, or walk us through some of the lessons you've taken from your early life um, and experiences that you've been able to apply to business? Oh, yeah. Well, number one, I am comfortable with change, right? And it doesn't matter what industry you're in, change is happening and more change is coming, right? So me being comfortable with change is probably an asset because a lot of people are discomfortable, you know, are uncomfortable with change. Right. And so, it, you know, I can you know, I kind of run towards change. So, and I actually do my best in the most chaotic environment. So it's fairly common and that my roles are go in, take a, you know, a chaotic situation or a broken system, mm. let's get it cleaned up and let's march it forward. Um, and so comfort, comfort with change, absolutely. And I'm focused on problem solving, right? I don't 
again, I'm not going to sit there and stare at the dead body. Right. We're going <laughs> to march forward, right? It's a good metaphor. <laughs> it's a great metaphor. A, it sounds a little crazy, but we're not going to, you know, I'm going to march forward and we're going to identify and understand the solutions, but we're going to, or the problem, but we're going to focus on solutions. And we're not going to spend a lot of time wallowing in whatever the problems are. And then, so, and then perseverance, right? Just, mm. just drive, drive, drive. Keep knocking at the door until someone opens the gate. And um, those three things taken together absolutely have made an impact on my career. That's huge. That's really a lot. That's a lot to unpack, actually. <laughs> Sorry. No, Sorry that's I added a lot that's good. It. You know, the, the dead body metaphor because there's a lot of businesses that have carcasses of ideas, oh, yeah. uh, carcasses of strategy, carcasses of you know, thinking mm -hmm. that needs to reinvent itself. And that's just yeah. a powerful analogy. Yeah. And I remember in the Air Force, uh, there's a period in my time, in my life where I flew, uh, one of the colonels I was with said to the whole group, they said, flexibility is the key to air power. Mm -hmm. So when you're flying a plane, it could be a contact flying day to day where it's severe clear. And then you could have inclement weather that just, like in the Midwest, yeah, you see it, you go in. from sun to, yeah. to clouds. And so your mission changes, you gotta be flexible in the moment. Things are happening really fast, it's dynamic. So what you said is really important to have that flexibility. Mm -hmm. And I, the other analogy I use is sort of like you could be the salmon who's swimming mm -hmm. upstream and getting taken out by the grizzly, or better yet, you could be the, the dolphin in the ocean that's just cruising and catching the best wave, yeah, right? Who's catching the best Go wave. with the flow and yeah. whatever, whatever is presented to you. So as you think back, what are some of the things you had to learn the hard way? I mean, you came through this <laughs> really interesting grinder of an experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are some things you had to learn the hard way in that experience? Um, well, some of the things I definitely had to learn are a lot of social norms, right? Um, <laughs> but it's true. I, Check out every freezer yeah, you go to, right? Yeah. No, but I mean, just a lot of social norms. I mean, you know, uh, my, my, one of my college roommates, I mean, God bless this woman's soul. She's a saint. Um, you know, she was just patient with me. I would just use her clothes. I would, you know, just, you know, because I just thought it was the way it is. Yeah. Right? And it probably the only time she really got upset was when I loaned her car out to someone else. Like, I didn't even ask her. Like, I gave away her car. Who does that? Um, so, you know, so people have attachments to goods um, and materials that sure. I... Um, you know, that I have to learn. So, and in the business arena, I've, you know, I've gotten feedback on how I stood or how I stand and my body language and my hair and all these things that, you know, there's a there's a chapter in the book called Janis Joplin hair, right? Because these are things I just wasn't trained or taught at all. Right. So some of those were, um, you know, definitely pieces I had to learn and I get a lot of feedback. You know, you're, you're raw, you're excited. Yeah, all that's true. <laughs> so you had to be really flexible with feedback, no pun intended, oh, but... Yeah. If you're rigid in your way of thinking and yeah. how you saw yourself, yeah. that could be very problematic. Yeah, well, that's I'm, I'm good at taking feedback because I'm always focused on let's get better, right? And, you know, I sometimes you got to set aside your emotions to it or set aside your ego and say, I just want to be better. I want to do better. I want to, you know, improve every single day. So if you don't tell me that my hair looks crazy, I, I'm good with I it. won't know, right? <laughs> because no one taught me when I was a kid. So absolutely, um, you know, I, because I, that's how you improve. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, growth I'm mindset. So what is the most significant reason you wrote the book, Hopi? Um, I have got to come up with a better answer for this because people ask this all the time. I wrote it because it just came. 
it just poured out. Um, I'm not sure I could have stopped it. Now, I don't, I, you know, my career is, you know, pretty formal. It's, you know, data driven. I have to provide objective evidence and it can be pretty dry. And so I'm not, don't have a lot of creative outlets. So this to me was a, just a creative outlet and the way it came, I mean, I, I couldn't type it fast enough. Wow. Like it just stormed was out. Was it therapeutic brain. at some level? Um, Cathartic? Again, to probably, if I let myself ruminate on it a little bit, it probably was. Um, or was it a message you're trying to get out to people for hope? Yeah, I think that's absolutely it. It's at the end of the day, I want everyone to know that it doesn't matter where you are or where you started or what's happened to you, you can go off and do amazing things and, and you can do it. And that's, it's about being inspiring and like say you I've been there you you might have been there you might have had something else but you can go off and do whatever it is you want to set out to do and that's that's part of it and that's why it you know it just came out so the typing part just happened but then it's like oh I can I can share this and help you know other people have you know connect with people who may need that reassurance yeah, you know, there's a story recently of a pastor locally who committed suicide. And, you know, a lot of people get to points in life where they say, this is it, this is the end of the road. And they could be 20, 25. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not. And I've always said, you know, the perspective I've always had with difficult times is we get a construct from our parents. We get a roadmap that says this is life. And if you follow this recipe for success, this is how your life's going to go. Yeah. Most times in life, we try to apply that recipe and we hit the proverbial wall. Yeah. And that creates a lot of anxiety and stress. And yeah. for some people, it gets extreme. Yeah. And so for me, it's as simple as you change the roadmap. Yeah. Like if there's bad parts in this world, most people don't go to bad parts of the world because yeah. they understand what's going to happen. Yeah. And then the second thing I always say is, you know, why do you give things the meaning you give it? The yeah. stress, anxiety, depression, and maybe suicidal thoughts we have. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be oversimplistic because yeah. there's nuance. It's yeah. complex. Yeah. There is mental health. I got yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I've seen a lot of it. Yeah. Um, but the idea that we get, we, we react to things and we give things meaning, yes. um, I think is, is part of the challenge. Like for yeah. example, if, if you're driving around a corner and someone yells out pig to you, yeah. you may be offended until you drive around the corner and you see a pig. pig. <laughs> and so maybe it was the meaning he, he or she was giving you was really, hey, hey a pig over by there. the way, um, and similarly as we give ourselves meanings of a commune, dead bodies, acid, whatever, yeah. That could be the end of the world or a rebirth, a new beginning yeah. um, to, to great things, which is what you demonstrate in your life, which yeah. I found it so interesting. Yeah. Your attitude so um, so um, buoyant, so yeah. bubbly, so <laughs> can do. And that, yeah. that is, I think that's going to encourage a lot of people. Yeah. And that's a perspective you've chosen to have. Yeah, just absolutely. I, you know, I think we're all grounded in some, and I, I would go back to that foundation, right? That foundation of belief in myself and, you know, that believe and told that I could do amazing things. You can build from that. That is huge. So if you don't, I would, you know, anybody who might be struggling or, you know, going through something, build that first. If you don't have that, you know, belief and confidence and knowledge in your own you know, goodness and value, you gotta get that first. So spend time building that. If you need therapy or you need whatever to make that happen, that's the foundation you can build from because if you don't believe in yourself, 
no one else is going to believe in you, right? And no one else, you know, it, it'll be hard to go where you want to go. But you have to know and you have to believe that you can do that. And if you can build from that, you know, the, and you're absolutely right. There's Mental health is a complex set of issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no one, I certainly am not going to be solving that <laughs> here today. Um, but if you, you know, you have some strong foundations and then surrounding yourself with people who love you and support you and want to see you do well, those two things can carry you. Big far. deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I think your book's going to be certainly encouraging and great. hopefully wake some people up to yeah. some different strategies and ways of thinking. Yeah, yeah. So you started uh, your own life when you were 15, pretty young. Yeah. What do you wish that 15-year-old you would have known then? I, you know, so I'll go back to I just don't spend a lot of time revisiting those things. I don't. I don't regret a lot of pieces. Yeah, I certainly made some bad decisions. And the book does end when I take my entrance exams into college at 17. Now, it has the flash forward, so you see little glimpses of my life today. Um, but it ends at, you know, when essentially when I go to college. And I certainly made a whole host of bad decisions. And certainly when you look at some of the things that um, happened on the commune, I repeated my own you know, challenges in my young adulthood and had to climb myself out of there. So that's the next book. Um, but the climb. The, the, the next book. But um, yeah, so I think, you know, you, you can make it out and you can, you know, you can get there, but you just, you got to keep on. What do you want other 15 year old girls to know? That just to believe in themselves. Right. I mean, so so I made bad decisions and I I am three decisions from being dead in a ditch. Right. And I am lucky. Right. I'm lucky that I survived my childhood. There's a whole series and you see read some of that in the book. I'm lucky I survived my teenage years and certainly my young adulthood. Um, But I don't I think you have to do it. You have to learn and you have to go through that process. And you have to have those experiences or else you aren't who you are today, right? We are a compendium of experiences, and that's what Great made point. me who I am today. That's what made you who you are today. And you take any one of those away, and uh, yeah, maybe it would have been easier at the time, but what I would have gotten here. So I don't do a lot of regretting or lamenting and saying, ah, oh, if I was 15, maybe I knew this. You know, maybe I would save more money or something useful. <laughs> but, but just for the government to yeah, take, yes. <laughs> so, you know, my question is: Are there really any bad decisions now, except for oh, murder, yeah, yeah. Uh, drug use, the obvious yeah, ones yeah. we can think about? There's clearly, but on the margins, are there yeah. really any bad choices? Because ultimately, I'd argue those are the choices that shape you, as Absolutely. as you were saying. So it's kind of an interesting question, right? Is it really bad? You know, in retrospect, if you're 20 years down the road, yeah. maybe not so much. Yeah, well, my husband has this great saying he tells our, our older girls, right? Like, we want you to make decisions and we want you to fail and we want you to, you know, experience life. We, we just don't want you to make something that you can't recover right. from. Right. So certainly when you think of you know, on the edges or those extreme scenarios, right. those are hard to recover from. Yeah. And there are certainly a whole host of creating the safe boundaries to make decisions within, right? Um, and you guys try and make, you know, and there's failures in there. Um, and you do need to experience it. Yeah. Because you won't grow. You won't grow, grow if you don't fail. And I think kids today <laughs> tend to 
you know, they know it all, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. probably true of our generation. Yeah. They know it all. And parents try to speak wisdom into their lives and it's just shut off. And then they go through some um, experiences and they come back and they realize on their own that, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, they were right. And, you know, and so sometimes I think you have to hit the wall and yeah, you see the best returns on that experience with sure. young people. Have you, have you been reading my text message with my 19-year-old? <laughs> that, that's what we all talked yeah. about. We had that whole string this morning. Sometimes you got to hit the wall. Yeah, Live ugly. like, you were right. And I yeah. shouldn't have done this. Yeah. And, you know, and I just want to. But what a gift. What yeah. a gift in that lesson. Because yeah. nothing need to be said beyond that. Because she's yeah. got it. Yeah. And she, I, she won't, won't, won't want to learn that lesson again. Right. <laughs> right. Unless she's a masochist or likes uh, paying more than two. So where do you see yourself in your career in the next five years? Um, well, um, I have a pharmaceutical job, mm -hmm. um, and certainly that is my number one priority and where I head. I spend a ton of time there. I just started a new role a month ago. Super exciting. Congratulations. Completely something I've never done before. I went from quality and continuous improvement to a technical development role. So that's really exciting. Um, however, in our industry, there's a ton of change, right? There's a ton of mergers, there's a ton of acquisitions, and that changed the landscape of, you know, of our industry all the time. And that's actually part of the reason why the book was written. So I was acquired three years ago, three and a half years ago, you know, um, and I didn't think I was going to have a job, right? They already had a vice president of quality, why would they need another one? And so I spent a little time greenfielding it, right? I was going to be a barista, and I'm going to open a balloon store. My husband's <laughs> like, what's happening right now? Um, but then, you know, I went to a writer's conference. I had already written the book. It was about 70% complete because it just came out. Um, and I realized, oh, it's, it's just a job. Like, it's a whole other job getting this thing done. Sure. So, but then... I, as that evolved, and then I watched some of my colleagues lose uh, lose their jobs in their 50s and 55. Mm -hmm. In the northern Chicago area, there's a ton of acquisitions, and the you know people are our companies are moving to the coasts. Um, so people are you know with SVP, EVP, SVP roles, and all of a sudden at 50, 55, they'll have they'll have a job. They're out. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it's I want to build something. I want to build a platform. I want to build an interest. I want to build something that I can do and be excited about. And part of that is the book and speaking. Um, and, you know, hopefully in five, 10 years, I'm doing that full time. Nice. You know, depending on if there's an acquisition or a merger, or if not, I'll just, you know, I'll do, I'll do what I'm doing, try and run both lives in parallel. Yeah, you know, it's funny, um, when you're 50s and, and beyond, it's brutal out there. I've known a yeah. lot of people lost their job hyper experience and they can't they can't yeah. land the next one and, yeah. and they're struggling um, we had another guest on who's uh, in a, a search firm yeah um, she had a little different take that there's no better time because the economy's so robust yeah, but yeah. that could be true but at those levels yeah. um, I, I think it's tough you know yeah. to roll into an executive VP position yeah. um, it's a, it's like a pyramid and yeah. it's 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 very very challenging um, in your book you say every childhood shapes a child mine was tumultuous but here I am standing strong and grateful how has your experience shaped your parenting? Um, I, you know, I know we've talked about it a little bit, but it's certainly about uh, giving my girls the autonomy and uh, to run their lives, to make their decisions, um, and to both succeed and fail, but giving them a safe set 
you know, sort of a boundaries of safe decisions that they're allowed to uh, run. And as they get older, so I mean, I have a range, right? So I have a 26-year-old, I have a 19-year-old, I have an 11-year-old, and I have an 8-year-old. Um, and so I, at any point, I'm parenting some sort, you know. You really have to range. be flexible. <laughs> yeah, so, um, <laughs> but, you know, continuing to let go, and I don't know if you have older kids, but the entire process of parenting after you hit a certain like eight nine ten is really this process of letting go and letting them you know experience lives for themselves in a safe way and you know identify and define who they are um and that's that's probably how i approach it because they will either gratefully or defiantly if you try to really hone them in rein them yeah. in they will defy. I believe yeah. that. Yeah, I do um, too. <laughs> or they'll leave at 18 rebellious and bitter and angry. So I, yeah. I, I think what you said is really important. I mean, uh, I heard a guy one time tell me, you know, the trick to parenting is to create a vacuum. Because a lot of times oh, yeah. we want to just be in there giving them advice. Because that's what we did from zero to eight. Yeah, yeah. And they would salute. They would react and yeah. respond. And it felt good because you think they got the message. And mm -hmm. then they start developing their own ways of thinking, their own mind. Yep. And then it's more challenging. Then yep. they want to push back. And I think the biggest in that conversation was like an epiphany. It's like that's pretty important. Create that vacuum. Let them make those choices. Let them fail. In fact, now I'd say I really don't give my kids advice. No. So what do you think about that? Yeah. Oh, interesting. There's something called Google, there's YouTube, yeah. there's a lot of ways to make decisions, and it's really important to exercise that muscle. Yeah. Because ultimately, I'm not gonna be here. That's right. And they're gonna be on their You're own flying be solo. You're for your safety. Right. <laughs> right. And I, say this, I say this a lot when I refer to parenting, is it's creating that space, right? Creating a space for them to blossom and you know be their own person and yeah and that when you're you know your colleague said create a vacuum that's that's really great I yeah mean, totally he right. was a psychologist oh okay well, he was, resonates with me he was a master and, he, he yeah. master degree so he was very very uh, interesting yeah. so let's go back hope is a great um hoping but okay. it's about hope um you know you come across as very positive um effervescent um, but the reality out there is people that are struggling. So what advice would you have for someone who has lived through chaos, confusion, and doesn't know how to get their bearings yep. in life? Yeah. Well, number one, I would reassure them that it doesn't matter where you are or where you've been or, you know, something you've experienced. You can, and your life can be great. You can be great. You are great. You are great right now. That would be my message. And spend the time, you know, if you don't have that foundation of belief in yourself, spend the time doing that. Surround yourself with people who know and love you and want to see you be successful and be honest with you when they need to when you need to be righted, right? Both positive and, you know, feedback that gives you a opportunistic feedback and making <laughs> you better. Um, so those are that's those are the foundations that you can build it from. And if you need help, get help. Yeah. Right. Because we don't do it alone. I mean, there is there's a few people I put in the book um, and I've reached out to and said, hey, you you were transformational, you know, in my life. Like, mm -hmm. you helped me in my life. And they didn't even know, right? So I had to send them their, for their chapter. I was like, hey, this chapter was about you. Um, you know, and you, you know, you made a huge difference in my life. And you made a huge difference in the trajectory of my life. And I couldn't have done it without you. So, you know, foundation of belief and surrounding yourself with people who know and love you and want to see you succeed, start there. That's huge. Start there. 
Great advice. So tell us about your scholarship and some of the NPO boards you sit on. Oh, so exciting. Um, so we we started um, we started a charity. Well, I haven't fully started. I've submitted the paperwork. Things grind slew uh, at the IRS. Um, and so we started a charity and it's actually named after the commune. So it's Hunter Street Charities. And it's for families and children during critical junctures of their lives, right? Mm -hmm. So it's primarily financial and it can be tiny. It can be what you need to get some bills paid, you need to get your car fixed, or we can you know, help get one of your kids to college. Um, so that is in the works. Um, it has, it's not fully functional yet because I haven't gotten the approval from the agency. Mm -hmm. um, we did start a scholarship last year, um, the Mueller Family Scholarship at our high school. My now 19-year-old experienced a massive trauma when she was 15 between her sophomore and junior year. Mm -hmm. uh, and she witnessed her father's death. Uh, it was an accidental overdose. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't know what to do, right? So when she was time to go back to school, we built a network around her and a support system around her because she's there all day right yeah. so these teachers and administrators they were amazing and they partnered with me for the you know next two years of her high school career and honestly I wanted to start a scholarship to honor their effort um, and to give back to any kids who might have experienced a major trauma or just some you know pretty significant difficulty in their young life mm -hmm. and then are finishing high school and making it to college so that's what the scholarship was for and we got to give away our first two um, candidates there's only supposed to be one but it was really hard to pick um, as it will be in yeah. future years I'm sure but I'm telling you it was so rewarding at you can there's a I wrote an article about the day that we delivered it mm. um, because because it was quite wild so go read the article um, but it was hugely rewarding and the greatest thing about it, Olivia, my 19-year-old, was there with us, um, and she was part of the whole process. And she's pretty nervous, um, but she said next year she wants to be the one to give it away. So yeah. she's committed to the giving back um, part of it, too. So that's been hugely rewarding. There's a ton of non-for-profit boards I sit on, um, probably too many. I am rolling off of some and getting on new ones this year. Um, but I'm massively interested in you know, STEM, so science, technology, engineering, mm -hmm. and math, um, development of females in the, mm -hmm. in, you know, in their careers. I have four daughters, you know, <laughs> want to make sure they have an opportunity. Sure. Um, this year I'm joining a board um, for kids in foster care. Mm -hmm. So, um, and rolling off some of the ones I've been on for a while because you need fresh ideas and right. they need fresh ideas. I'm probably a little stale. Right. That's wonderful. <laughs> wow. Do you want to talk about your passions for equality, rights, and activism? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't do as much as in that area, you know, um, with, you know, time or money because <laughs> um, it's, you got to pick a struggle. Yeah. Right. So there's so actually I listed these boards and you actually have to pick a focus, right? Because I, I'm, I'll go out and try and do everything, right? But if you try and do everything, it dilutes your effectiveness. Mm -hmm. And so those few that I've just listed are the ones that I try and stay focused on because 
I, you know, my husband tells me all the time, time you would give away all of our money if I let you, and I totally would. So thank God he manages the money. But you know, that's so. Those are the areas I focus on. You know, especially, you know, uh, equality for women. You know, and all of the reproductive rights. Those are mm-hmm. things that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. But I've tried to channel all of that energy through the charities and boards that I sit on right now, um, because otherwise. You're gonna be so yeah, stressed there's, down. There's so yeah. there's so many opportunities to right. give back, right. and there's so and you know it just just seems like it's in a wild disarray right now when you think of you know our community and our you know our our reality as a nation. So yeah, a lot of challenges so gotta, out there. Gotta gotta pick a struggle. Gotta pick a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Who's that person that's had the most influence in your life? Uh, this is without a doubt. Um, this is the easy, probably the easy answer is my husband. Um, so I'm in a second marriage, and they are the best, um, by the way. Um, unless you can get a really good one the first time around. Um, you know, he is my biggest supporter. He is my partner in every single thing I do. Um, we talk about everything. Probably sometimes he's like, "Oh, well, she quit talking, please." Um, but certainly, I wouldn't be who I am today. Okay. I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Um, the book would never have gotten written um, or published um, without his partnership and support. Um, we have a blended family, right? Uh, all the kids are his, hers, and ours, um, and it's a wild ride. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be who I am today without him. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. If you can go back and give yourself advice, what would it be? Just keep on, keep on keeping on, stay the course, persevere, you know. Um, I do get laser focused and sometimes um, don't even see options. I do talk about that a little bit in the book and there's, and that probably was a gift for me, especially in my younger years. I just Focus had, and headed towards college, didn't even, so I got pregnant um, with Ashley, my 26 year old. Um, when I was 20, I had her when I was 20. So my sophomore year in college. And I took the semester off because I had a baby. And then I went back the spring semester and my roommate says, well, I didn't think you were gonna go back. And not until they said that, did I even, like literally didn't even enter my mind as an option of not finishing school. Like never, I was like, what? That's an option of not finishing school? So. That laser focus um, can be hugely beneficial, but you also probably miss things. I've probably missed things or missed opportunities or... Kind of like that double-edged sword, yeah. right? So, yeah. you know, maybe slow down a little bit. That's a lot of the feedback <laughs> I get, slow down. Um, but I don't know, again, I, you know, not gonna... How could you not be you though? Yeah, that's right. I would, would I have gotten anything done if I was super reflective? <laughs> It's like getting on ADHD medicine. I've yep. never been on it, but I've heard it just mellows you out. Yeah. It's like, why would you want to do that? Yeah, I think it's a you got to be you. Got to be you. I think to some extent there's some of that. So I'm, you know, keep on. Absolutely, that commune, free love. Just, well, go. don't do that. No, I mean, but I mean, love yeah. in the sense that you were talking about earlier, where it's like it's about love, yeah. support, and I'm not talking about that yeah, kind. Yeah, that kind of. Love. But I'm talking about that that perspective that you don't judge people. Yeah. We're all souls. You know, we all matter, and ultimately, at the end of the day, everybody wants love. Yeah. And I don't care if it's the most machismo man; it's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. They still want that. Yeah. So, um, is there anything you want to tell the audience we haven't covered? 
No, I just reiterate that piece of no matter who you are, where you are, you know, what you've experienced, you can go and do amazing things. Your life can be amazing, and you can wake up every day super thankful of where you're at. That's awesome perspective. Where can they learn more about you? So you can go to hope, um, or hopebee.net is our website. You can email me at hope at hopebee.net. Um, and so the you can connect with me. If you email me, I'm emailing you back. Nice. Until that's a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> I'm the one writing all those emails. So, and people have connected. I, I will say through this book, um, people are connecting. They are they reach out like, on two different areas, either how'd you write the book, how'd you get it published, or you know, wanting to talk about some childhood trauma or mm -hmm. how did you move forward. And it's Huge. been amazing. Um, and one of the greatest that you know things I've heard is, you know, thank you for this book. Yeah. And it's just such a it was just such a simple it was, you know, the five words or however thank you for this book the five words, and it was so powerful and I, it was you know brings you to tears and I was I'm like okay this is it this is the this good is the stuff. purpose this is the good stuff yeah and received similar sentences like that so yeah. Hopi.net. You can buy the book on Amazon. You can buy the book on Books a Million, Barnes and Noble. You can buy the book from my website. Um, yeah. So. And I think I've got one of the first copies of the book that you yeah. were surprised that I had. Yeah. So <laughs> I have not seen the book yet, and I'm wildly jealous that you have a copy and I don't. So um, I'm super excited to touch and feel one. I haven't seen that yet. That was awesome. Yeah. Hope, thanks so much for uh, making the trip yeah, out to absolutely. come on the show, Beyond. Yeah. Really enjoyed having you. Fascinating okay. story. Great. And I hope it touched the audience as it has me. Okay. Thank Great. you so much. Great. That's it for Beyond. You can uh, connect with us at beyondbenbobo.com or at beyondbenbobo on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook. Until next time, remember, becoming is better than being. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. It was awesome. It was